coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Business lets us do this. It develops people and people are what matters. I'll close with this. People are never the means to another end. People always are the end. In life, people have to be the end. People are also the means, to, but they have to be the means of the end at the same time. Like in a business, sure, we need people in order to sell product, to make money. But even that money's purpose has to be back for people. And we have to define our success in our souls and in our businesses by the mark we leave in people's lives. And if you can have really build a business where people are the ends, you will have a great culture. If people are the means and culture is another means to some other end of personal enrichment or things, and don't get me wrong, I'm very financially successful to this. I'm very grateful for this. I, there's no reason why you can't have a great business and make a lot of money and bring a lot of joy and smiles and flourishing along the way. But through all of that and in that, people are the ends. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Past the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Ryan Barton, who is the CEO of Mainstay Technologies. So I have to say, we've met some amazing people on this show, and we've done some amazing interviews Ryan is right up there at the very top of that list. Uh, the conversation that we had today about all kinds of different things. Obviously, you know, we we went down the typical path of how he got into to business, but his philosophies on management and building culture. And again, I know that we we cover this, uh, you know, in other episodes and that. But Ryan really has a great way of presenting the the dynamics that are created by a company and the the change that can be impacted by a company that has the right type of culture uh, and the right reasons for you know, moving forward with that that company and that business really 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 great great content today Ryan knocked it out of the park we had fantastic conversations you know, and again, we we talked a little bit about what Mainstay does and what their you know what their goals are, where they're going in the future, but really focused on you know leadership and and applying that leadership and creating the right type of culture, surrounding yourself with the right type of people. How to identify those types of people? We covered all kinds of different things. So, really, really excited about this episode. I hope you enjoy Ryan Barton on Pass the Secret Sauce. So my dad was an entrepreneur and a real estate developer. And so at the dinner table, it was pretty common for him to talk about business, his, the thoughts on the world. We would, we were a family that wasn't afraid to be sort of critical and look at what do we like? What do we not like? What do we see as opportunities? I remember when we would go out to restaurants, we would always critique the place. How is the vibe of this? What would you do differently? How's the approach? How friendly are the staff? And it got me thinking from a very young age about how businesses and structures and life works in that way. Mm-hmm. That's really fascinating that you that you had your eyes open to something like that at a at a young age. Obviously, that that I'm sure 
guided your trajectory and your, your upbringing and, you know, kind of brought you to where you are today, but was it your dad? Obviously your dad was, was a developer. So he was probably always constantly looking for different ways that he could make his, you know, his developments better or his business better. Was he, was he aware of that type of like building culture obviously is what we call it today, but you know, back then, I don't know that anybody really thought of it that way. Yeah, it's a great call. You know, my dad was more, he was more of a deal maker and he was always looking for deals. And so whether he was in seasons of a lot of success or not, it was about finding deals, whether that's in cars or buildings or old apartment buildings. And so I think that what it gave me growing up was a couple of things. One is that just this picture that you can find ways to provide value wherever you don't have to take traditional paths. And then I was homeschooled. And so I learned how to teach myself. And so looking at the world from a little bit of a different lens and learning how to teach myself, those lessons were really valuable when I ended up starting the business, which was actually an accident the way I started the business. Oh, well, we'll have to get into what that accident was. So did you do the whole college thing and, and, you know, go the typical path or did you, did you have a different you know, I didn't, uh, you know, interestingly, my family was, was fairly anti-college and I listened mm-hmm. to them at the time, whether that was a wise decision or not. And I was in technology. And so being one of those computer kids, I yeah. would fix people's computers and build websites for hire when I was a teenager. And that really naturally led in, and I was fortunate that I started a business in the technology field where being young was actually a bit of an advantage. And so it was okay that I was really young and nobody cared if you had a college degree, they cared, can you actually fix the problem? Can you actually make this technology work properly? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's cool. That's very, very cool. And and I I love that your parents didn't necessarily force college on you. You know, that I think, unfortunately, it's not the case all too often. You know, everybody thinks like you have to go to college. That's the only, that's the only path. I didn't go to college either. So yeah, that's great. Man. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I love that. Yeah, I think I think it'd be great if if teenagers could get a really good sense of why to go to college and what the advantages are, and then be yeah. able to be equipped to make a decision because it's great for some and not for others. And like you say, it's not the only path. Yeah, exactly. So so you were developing websites and and that type of thing that took you through high school. Did you continue on, create a a company, create a business where you're creating different websites and whatnot for for people? Yeah, essentially I was doing this all individually. And I I did take a few college classes and did some Bible Mm -hmm. school for a while. And I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I'd be a youth pastor. And I was doing unskilled construction labor and had $500 in my bank account and was really tired of it. And my phone rang and the local Christian school had heard that I could fix technology. And they said, we have a bunch of problems. Could you help us? <laughs> At the end of that first day, I was getting a check and a hug and I was in clean clothes. And I was like, this is what I want to be doing. Yeah. And I was motivated because I had no money. And I said, let me start to do this for small businesses. And I was fortunate, you know, I started and run a service business today. And service businesses have a very low barrier to entry. If you can learn how to provide the service well. And in technology, you know, I had this intersection of being able to talk with people understand a bit about the organization and be good with technology. And especially back then, that was a rare intersection. There weren't many of us at that intersection. And so that low barrier to entry for service business, I didn't need much to get going. I printed some business cards. And back in those days, I actually put an ad in the phone book and a small website. And it was like a hundred bucks a month and I was off and running. And then it was able to grow organically. And it's always been about organic growth. And one client became three, became five, became 10. And my focus was always providing service that I would want on the other side. And that allowed us to organically grow. And we've been able to do this without outside funding, without bank debt, and just grow it organically and steadily 17 years ever since. 
The challenge, of course, in service businesses is that, well, it's a low barrier to entry. It's a high barrier to scale. Yeah, it's a exactly. difficult business to scale. Yeah. And I was actually going to ask, you know, how, how that went, like, you know, obviously you get to a certain point and, and, you know, did you identify where that point was when you need to be able to bring on more people? Because I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs that are in service-based businesses, you know, they sort of get stuck there where they can't afford to hire anybody, but they can't, they can't keep up with all of the work that they're doing. That's right. You know, so, so was there anything that you sort of identified like, yeah, I, I got to change this or I got to bring somebody on or, you know, these are the projects I need to get rid of. Like any, any advice or any thoughts there? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that there's no one good successful way, right? There's lots of ways to do this. I was single in the time of life where I could keep my expenses down to an absolute bare minimum. You know, I, for the first couple of years, I, my biggest expense was I had a green two-door Ford Explorer that cost me $1,300 that I yeah. Tommy Boyd the door on. I backed up and the door went the wrong <laughs> direction and had a big old dent in it. And that was my start. And then it was like, I found an abandoned office room and like, I just bootstrapped it. And what I did is I said, okay, if I keep my expenses low, then once I get my revenue up to a certain point, I can hire my first, my first team member yeah. and I can still survive, right? If I can live on $30,000 a year, once I get to a hundred grand, great. I got 70 grand that I can hire somebody yeah. and I know I'm going to be safe. And I never wanted to take that big risk where like, if this doesn't work out, it all sinks. I yeah. always wanted to take incremental risk that I could, I could have a way out and I could have safety nets. And that's really been a pretty guiding philosophy. You know, there's been a lot of, for me, there was a lot of misconceptions about being an entrepreneur, especially being raised. You know, my father was in real estate and a deal maker, which people like that tend to have a big appetite for risk and they tend to yeah. have boom seasons and bust seasons. And seeing that was the stress of all of those seasons. I'm not that guy. I don't like big risks. Yeah. I don't like risk at all. And I thought that meant I couldn't be much of an entrepreneur. And I just started doing this. And I didn't think of myself as a leader because I'm an introvert. I didn't yeah. think of myself as an entrepreneur because I'm not a risk taker. But actually, I found ways and, of course, have learned that successful entrepreneurs tend to actually hate risk. Like, yeah. I hate risk. So yeah. I manage it and I look for it and we work at it really hard. Yeah. Uh, and, and I learned how to bootstrap that and grow it safely. Yeah. And that's, you, you had so many little nuggets there too. So I wouldn't peg you as an introvert at all. I mean, it's interesting because I'm also, I also consider myself an introvert and, you know, you would think that the people that are out there like on podcasts and whatnot, you'd think that they, you know, have the personality where, you know, again, it's more extroverted. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, 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 to get on things. Do you feel like being an introvert has helped you or hindered you in an entrepreneurial space? Any, any thoughts there? It's an intriguing question. You know, I think that self-awareness is really key to realize that each of us has things that we can leverage in building the business in different ways. And then the key is to surround yourself by other people who bring different skills and different personalities and aptitudes. For me, the way that it's played out is that I am an introvert, which I would define introvert as that I, I get energy from being by myself. Yeah. And yeah. by being around people, there is a level of tiredness that comes with that or energy, energy yeah. taking. But I'm a relational person. And I think early on, I realized that if I'm going to have a life that actually has any degree of satisfaction or meaning or authority in the world, I need to learn how to do this. And being homeschooled, I had very few chances. So I remember yeah. 
back when electronics boutique was where we get all our peripherals. I remember as a kid, I, I was buying an extra four megabytes of RAM and I was terrified to pick up the phone. I had to get coached how to pick up the phone and call. Yeah. And I started to realize, oh, these are skills that you can learn. How to win yeah. friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. I practically memorized that book as a teenager because it was like, this is what I need to learn. And you realize, yeah. oh, this is just an area that I can grow in and be very intentional about. And in some ways, I think that that has allowed me to accelerate social skills, public speaking skills, because I've never taken them for granted because they didn't come naturally. I've taken them as a skill to master, to get coaching on, to get feedback from, to take new challenges in. And so that's just been an area that I've had to intentionally develop. But underneath it has been a heart that cares about people and sees people as what's valuable and meaningful in life. And then my introversion has also allowed me to read a ton of books and you know, get a lot of ideas that way. And so I feed my creativity as an entrepreneur through books and reading and time alone. And, and it just plays out uniquely for me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What's your, what's your favorite book that not very many people know about? Oh, there's way too many. You can't <laughs> ask me. I, I love read. So I read my pace. I try to read uh, 70 to 80 books a year. So wow. I love to just I'm always and, got multiple and, books and you, going. I, obviously, you know, business, I mean, you, you, you've rattled off a couple of them. So business is a genre that you like. Any other genres that you're into? Yeah, I mean, I, all, all of them. I mean, yeah. Fiction, literature, sci-fi, um, science, I'm really interested in worldview, biography, history. You know, the, the business books, of course, you know, the Jim Collins and Peter Drucker, like if you're building a business, you've really got to be familiar with those time-honed principles. You know, a little book that is out of print, you ask for one that's kind of off the beaten path is called The Tao of Leadership. And it's a it's a fascinating book that combines the Eastern Taoism or Taoism, if you want to be um, totally correct with with leadership and looks at the softer side of leadership. We often think of leadership as this aggressive. I need to bust down the door. I need to punch somebody in the face. And actually, so much of leadership is coaching and so much of leadership is what you do with the energy that comes at you and how you can lay back and how sometimes silence can be some of the greatest tool that we have. And so that's when I read this year that comes to mind. It's a very little known. I actually um, got it reading a biography of Phil Jackson, the great coach. Um, That's one of his that he's loved. Interesting. Interesting. I'll have to check that one out. And, And so you kind of brought up images and I'm sure everybody's, everyone has seen this where like the leader there's there's the person who's you know out front leading the charge or there's the leader that's you know riding on everybody's backs and and you know whipping people trying to get them to do whatever it is that you're you're looking to do i can obviously pick out these you know these two types of personalities like right away but i don't think that a lot of entrepreneurs necessarily you know look at themselves you know that way and and you know am i being the person who's you know cracking Mm -hmm. the whip and and you know, I, I shouldn't have to do those types of projects, you know, that's below me. Have you, have you, are you able to see the same types of things in people and, and any thoughts on, you know, maybe identifying if you are doing those types of things, or if you are, you know, projecting that type of energy on your, your staff, your people around you, anything? Yeah. Let me say first that I think that any conceptions that any of us have of what a leader looks or sounds like, we need to just erase that Mm -hmm. and purge that from our minds because every personality type, everyone has the capability of being a leader. And each of us has a call within us to live at the fullness of our potential. And each of us are living at a fraction of our true total potential each day. And as we live that out, 
all that means is we get to impact the world. And as we impact the world, we get to be a leader because we're making a difference. We're making a change and we're improving people's lives. And that's the definition of leadership. And so leadership looks like and comes in many styles. And so mainstay, of course, is impacted by my style of leadership and by my heart and, and approach to leadership. But we also have a very diverse leadership team. Now, there are within that, there are there what we want to do as leaders is be leaders, first of all, of character. Mm -hmm. to have integrity and care. And yes, we need technical skills and business skills, but if we can walk in in emotional and social skills, but the the foundation of that is who we are as people and our character. And I think if we can become, it's who we become that matters the most. And then living authentically out of that, if you genuinely care for people, you will not be a dictatorial style of leader. As long as you can get out of your head that like some ego trip, that that's what you're supposed to do, or that's what a big leader looks like. No, leadership looks in all different sizes and flavors and shapes and colors. And so lead authentically from who you are, but lead from a place of character and care. You can't fake character and care. You have to genuinely be a person of integrity and virtue and genuinely care about people. Those are the kind of leaders that people want to follow. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. I, I, I love that. Great, great response. So, so we started all of this off you know, before we started recording and all of that, but talking about culture and, and building culture and, and you know, how, to, how to do that. What are your, I guess, let's first define what you consider culture to be what what is sort of your your uh definition of what that means and to build culture what is that what does that mean to you you know everyone has a different definition for culture and i'd like to think of it as sort of this diamond with multiple facets and so there's lots of ways to look at culture at the baseline i think it's both how things get done and even below that it's the how people are treated how are we treated and what is normal and expected in our environment for how we're treated and everything else flows out of that. So our ping pong tables and our fun and our growth tracks and our trainings and everything else flows out of how people are treated, which ultimately stems from how do you see people and how do you see the role of your business and its, and, and its impact on people and what's the purpose here? And I get a little tired in culture conversations often because my sort of my soul reacts to an inauthenticity that I often hear in culture conversations, which is a, how do we make millennials feel like there's meaning in the job or how do we inject more fun into the workplace or how do we get people to feel X? And it has this transactional feel sometime or this structured, like we're designing a system that we want people to be in. And that's just not how I think life works. I think that, I think that culture flows out of the relationships and the decisions that you make with the most care and the most wisdom of how to walk out that care. And a culture is born out of the people and the systems and the policies and the expectations of what's normal that creates this web of belonging and meaning that we operate out of. But it comes down to why are you doing this? If you're doing this because you genuinely care about people and you see business as this vehicle to unlock wealth and opportunity and value for others, and you want to see it as a lifting force for them, what kind of culture are you going to have versus you say, I'm in this so that I can make as much money as possible. As soon as I can get an acquirer for my business, I'm out and I'm on my sailboat for the rest of my life. And I just need a good culture for retention. Which of those two businesses is really going to have a culture that lasts and is authentic? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great, that's a great point. What would you say is, are some keys to, I guess, establishing that culture and developing that culture? And again, is it, is it very much so reflective on your own personality and understanding that, you know, 
again, you're leading this and everything sort of stems out from you. What are your thoughts on like, again, what type of company I want to build and, and being able to identify, you know, what type of culture I want and then how do I move forward with that? Yes, it, it is inescapable that a founder casts a long shadow mm-hmm. and that the organization is, has, has a, is greatly impacted by the approach and personality of the founder, which is why we recognize how Elon Musk impacts Tesla and this, the lore of Steve Jobs and of Jeff Bezos. I mean, like we all recognize this at the largest scale. And I think for anyone who has the opportunity to found a business and then lead that business, that should be a really humbling thing and something that feels as a weight of responsibility to carry that, that, I look to see that weight and encourage other entrepreneurs to let that weight help to transform your character and to grow metal and character and virtue within because the character of who you are as a person impacts your culture dramatically. What the top CEO, especially founder CEO, and especially in a privately held business without a board and other control, that person has such an impact in what they value, in what they say, this is the priority, and it's in the air. You can say, oh, I value culture, but when push comes to shove. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. How are you making decisions around performance? How are you making decisions around people? Where are you putting the money? How are you actually measuring success? What are you putting up on your dashboard? If those things that are in the air that come out of your soul, mm-hmm. that's what actually ends up defining the culture. And the personality certainly, you know, there's, there's certain personality things that come in cultures. And, but you also, that grows as part of the team. I mean, part of building a business is that you let go more and more and more. You hire leaders, you empower the leaders, you mm-hmm. see the team, you allow the team to bring theirs in. You, give it, you basically are giving them a sandbox to play in and build new structures that you couldn't even have imagined and take it far beyond you. So that personality really morphs over time, but I can't emphasize enough the character of leaders. Yeah. And so you, you just mentioned it there, this perfect, perfect segue. So, so you mentioned hiring leaders and at a certain point, you, your, your goal should be to be able to, to, you know, 
give a lot of the, you know, the, the day-to-day work to someone else so that you can actually, you know, sort of oversee everything and make sure that everything's going correctly and, you know, sort of drop in wherever you need to, you know, here and there. But do you have any advice or techniques on identifying those leaders? And if you are in a position where maybe you already have a team and you're sort of questioning whether or not a person is truly a leader when you're, you're thinking that they, they should be a leader, any advice on identifying you know, maybe they're not the right person for that, for that fit. So I guess identifying them initially and maybe identifying or, or designating whether or not maybe you have the person in the wrong seat currently. Yeah. Let's start with the easy one, which is when do you need to hire a leader? Mm-hmm. And the answer I think is always sooner than you think. And especially, you know, as a founder, if you think about like my story and any founder who's bootstrapped this, you're used to stretching it and saying, I'll do this for as long as I can until I'm at a cracking point and then let's hire somebody to take this on. And what that means is that the organization is always a little starved of oxygen and there's fewer people who are really thinking about the long-term of the business. The longer I do this, the more convinced I am. I want a lot of really smart people thinking about the long-term of the business. Our goal at Mainstay is to have a hundred-year business that's fully employee-owned, that's prospering the community and blessing every teammate and growing and lifting and making the world a better place for the long haul. I need a lot of people thinking and working on that vision to do it. And so I've had to work really hard on switching from that founder, I do it all mentality into this more professional business leader. I need every area we have, somebody needs to be owning it and they need to be thinking about it. And you want somebody else or losing sleep about that particular area and owning it. So hire leaders sooner. The question of how you identify them internally or externally, I would say that it starts with the with a values alignment, character and values alignment. Who are you? Define your culture, your core values, your mission, your vision of the world. Identify how you see the world and how you see your business and what's important to you in your culture. Really simple. What's allowed and what's not allowed? What's the best behavior and what's the stuff that you can't stand? And make sure that you get people who are already living that. Who can, everyone can tell a great story of saying, oh, I like those values and I want integrity. Yeah. No, if you say your integrity, tell me a time when you've done the right thing, when no one was looking and it cost you something and you still yeah. did it. Now yeah. I know you have integrity. Get a values alignment first. And then a vision alignment. Make sure there's alignment in where you're going and what your vision for the business is. And then it becomes about, the skills, do they have, you know, social skills, skills with people, skills with change management, the technical skills of building business policy and process. And that's where you sometimes have to hire from the outside. I think a healthy business promotes the majority of leaders from within, but continues to also hire leaders from without. Drucker's done some great work and research on this, Peter Drucker. And, you know, he's sort of like the grandfather of professional business management theory. And he's got like 60 books and and, you know, it's some the businesses who do all internal promotions and those who do all external, neither of them have the quite the best mix. And I found in my own experience, I want the majority of my leadership team to be promoted from within, but it's great to get some other experience, people who've been there and done that, worked at larger business. But when it comes to thinking about promoting from within, you got to get close to your team and know them. And I love to just look at somebody and think, would I want to work for them? Do I want to work for them? Before I would ever promote somebody, would I be happy showing up every day? working with them as my team leader. And if not, what is it? And then let's go to work on those things. If there's character stuff, let's work on it. If it's technical skill, let's work on it. And recognize that everyone has great potential within them. 
Not everyone will do the work to realize that potential. So test people, stretch them, coach them, give them some things, and then observe what they do and really be critical. And when you look at leadership, it is both You want to be as informed and intellectual as you possibly can be, understanding what that role does and its outcomes and its measurements. But you also want to be as psychologically whole and healthy and to be able to be as intuitive as possible. And you want to use your gut and your sense and your intellect and then get lots of advice. And you do that and you should be able to promote good leaders. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic response. I, I love I love that you. You, you didn't necessarily say this, but you're basically saying, you know, don't, I, I think, a, I think a path that a lot of people will go down is like, this person isn't doing the job, we've got to find somebody new, you're looking at it as okay, you know, what, where is the issue at, let's try to, you know, work on where those issues are, and, and you know, really focus in on that to be able to make that person better, you know, because again, maybe that person doesn't even realize that they're, you know, lacking in this area or that the, the next area. So I, I never regret giving someone a chance to grow and they don't have a chance to grow if they don't know. It might be really obvious to you that this person who's working for you is late and disorganized and they can never be a leader because they're late and disorganized. And you just think that's what it is. But have they ever been confronted with the cost in their lives for their lack of attention to that? Have they ever been given resources? Have they ever been given books like Seven Habits for Highly Effective People? Have they ever been taught, organized? Have they ever been showed how an organized person keeps to-do lists and calendars? And so I I love to sit down with that person and say, here's what's costing you. I want to see you grow, but this is costing you in this. And I can't trust you when you show up late to meetings all the time. And here's the things now. Let me then teach you and let me show you how I organize Outlook and to-do lists and keep on track of things. And here's the expectation, the behavior. Here's some books. Here's a mentor. You might want to get a coach. Sometimes it's issues with people that, you know, they, they have to go do their own work on. And it's like, look, you're not, you're not engaged to that. You feel really torn in two directions. You want to work hard some days and other days you don't. There's, there's a reason that psychologists and therapists exist. There's a reason professional yeah. coaches exist. We can't, we don't have to be afraid to say you've got more potential, but you got to work through this. Now you have to do that really kindly with a genuine care, with real skill and some experience in walking that and walk that carefully. But if you in love and care, just matter of factly tell someone, here's some challenges that we're having. Here's where your behavior is and here's where it needs to be. I think you can do it, but it's up to you if you want to do the work. I've seen amazing behavioral change. I've seen people go from performance improvement plans, right? Which is like the last step to before out to becoming team leaders. I mean, I've seen the gamut of change when you actually do it, but I'm going to go back to character, which is people can tell when you're pulling for them and they can tell why you're doing it. And if this is all about transactions, if this is all about building a transactional business, they're going to feel it. And if you really care about them and you see business as this vehicle to bless them, as well as be blessed and prosper and flourish as a result, it makes a real difference. I can't imagine doing it without that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You, you, you mentioned really quickly, Mainstay is employee owned. Yes. Or you so want, you're, you're building toward that. We're building towards that. So we have senior leaders who have brought into a partnership and then we're building towards seeing that move more and more. So right now it's all internal because it's me and some senior, um, some senior leaders. Yeah. And then we're building structures so that that continues and grows. And we're building the financial mechanisms to build the maturity and responsibility. So the team can start to walk in profit sharing and equity sharing over time, yeah. but that's absolutely the long-term commitment. Yeah. And I, I imagine that that, obviously helps with, you know, that buy-in and making sure that, you know, it's not just a paycheck that they're looking at. It's, you know, I'm part of this whole future as well. So, you know, helps, it helps, you know, helps that side of things as well. It it does. And I've become convinced of that and of the goodness of a business that 
builds wealth for all. And so we're really laying the groundwork because I've seen a lot of organizations, I've studied it, who've done it poorly and some have done it well and those have done it well, really built the groundwork for that ownership thinking. We have an incredible ownership culture at Mainstay of everyone cares about it and treats it like it's their own. We're now starting to build the financial training to say, okay, now it really will be your own and let's get you ready for that. And so we're beginning and laying that groundwork and that'll be more of the focus next, next year and in 2023. Yeah. So explain a little bit about what Mainstay does. We haven't really touched on that yet. Yeah, we provide the service of a world-class IT and information security department to clients. So we serve clients, typically they have between 15 and 500 employees where they need a sophisticated technology experience, but they are, don't have the competence to build that themselves, to actually scale and build an IT department. We can do that for them so well. And they get the benefit of a you know, we currently have 78 team members. They get a 78 strong team that's doing all this R&D and all of this culture work. And that's the IT experience they get. So we're able to turn technology from this high risk, sort of messy thing that, team, that their decision makers don't really know how to budget for and how to leverage into something that is actually a delightful experience for their staff and is an asset and, and a real strength, a strategic strength for their business. Yeah. So, so explain a little bit, I guess, walk us through a scenario where you guys would be like a great fit to be able to, to be inserted into that, you know, that particular situation. Yeah. I mean, let's take a typical client for Mainstay, like an 80 person law firm, right? Where they have all of these computers and technology and software. And if they get hacked, it's absolutely devastating for client confidentiality and their reputation. They have all of this robust requirements around their technology. And then usually their budget could afford one full-time IT person who's got to be doing 24 seven help desk, keeping up with all the security threats, figuring out the best firewalls and the best servers and cloud infrastructure and how to leverage it. And we just say, well, we can typically actually save you costs. And then we'll bring in the architects and the planners that you need, plan this out, give you the, and we're also going to train your staff and we're going to administer all this and watch it for you and implement all these security layers and give you a world-class response experience when you have issues. And we're going to do this. And then we're, because we focus in this SMB space, we're really customer intimate. I mean, like it's mm -hmm. a small team that they work with 80% of the time. 80% of what they do is done by three people. And then yeah. everything else is sort of done behind that. And they get the strength of the big company. And it's incredibly successful. I mean, we have a voluntary client retention rate. In other words, if we haven't let them go for some misalignment reason, or they haven't been acquired, um, we have like a 98.5% wow. retention rate. And so wow. it's incredible retention, incredible MPS scores and satisfaction because we care about our clients and they get this and then the culture work and the team development work obviously builds right into the product that we're, that we're delivering, which is mm -hmm. happy, empowered, built up professionals. Yeah. And, and are, you, are you helping them with their culture work too? Does that come through as well? Is that sort of part of it? Or is that, is that, that you know, you're doing all of this culture work internally and then that, you know, that obviously spills over into their experience as yeah. well? I love that question, Matt, because right now it really is about giving them a high culture, amazing IT department, mm -hmm. but we're beginning our conversations of saying, all right, we've been, you know, best one of the best companies to work for in New Hampshire. There's an award list here in our home state. You know, now it's coming up multiple years in a row. We've got this wonderful team and our retention's incredible. And we're seeing, and we're getting more and more requests for things like podcasts and teaching on this. How could we take this space? And could we actually begin to help some of our clients with this? Mm -hmm. But I really am, 
I want to be really careful that few things are more concerning than someone who is an expert talking out of the area of their expertise. And we are an expert in technology and in building mainstay. And I want to be really make sure that we walk that well, if we start to extend that, but I would love to. So I appreciate the challenge that's inherent in your question. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic where, you know, again, it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like Amazon, right? You know, they, they obviously started selling things and then they started, you know, have building all their own servers and everything. And, oh, you know, we've got a whole nother business here that we can, you know, offer AWS, yes. the, the server yes. systems to everyone. So it's, yes. it's sort of like, a, you know, an offspring of, you know, what you guys are doing internally. And you know. I, I love that. And I love the invitation in that. And I, I don't know if you've read the um, flywheel monograph that Jim Collins wrote that sort I, of expanded. Yeah. Yeah. You did read that? Yeah. 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 And he, he talks about how Amazon helped them to develop the flywheel concept from Jim Collins to actually identify their flywheel. Yep. And I think that's really good work for us to do is identify our flywheel here and then say, how can we take some of this business and culture building that we do and actually extend that? And is that something that's a natural extension of our flywheel? Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. That is, that is really, really interesting. Ryan, this is this, I mean, we could go on and on for forever on this topic. I feel like, again, I'm, I'm a huge, huge proponent to, to building the right culture and, and communicating outwardly to people that, you know, this is what, what, you know, what I'm about, or this is what we're about. Do you have any, any parting thoughts on, you know, if you're, if you're interested in, you know, building a, a culture first, we'll call it type company, any t- tips on resources or anything like that that you could go and check out to be able to you know start setting that path in the right the right direction? Yeah, it's great. I think any intent towards building a great culture, it, you start to realize there's there's a plethora of resources out there. Some that I've really benefited from is the conscious capitalism movement, which really looks at the business model in a really holistic way. Because if you don't get that right at its core everything, this is only going to last for a little while. And so the Mm -hmm. conscious capitalism model has been really great. There's a number of different institutes and programs that there's also this wonderful place called the Tugboat Institute, where they work on these organizations that want to last for generations and for the long haul. And how do you build for that? And the reason I stress conscious capitalism, the Tugboat Institute and other places like that, is that I think that good leaders build good culture. And if you become a good leader in your character, your social skills, your business skills, right? If you get, those are all learnable, buildable things. We can grow in our character and our virtue. We can all grow in our social and leadership skills, and we can all grow in our technical and business skills. That's all very proven. Good leaders will build good culture. If you want to build a business of good culture that lasts, you've got to make sure that the business success definitions line up to it, that the very motivation and the why of the business, Simon Sinek's another great author, and Mm -hmm. they start with why and the golden circle of like, the why for me is much more than a marketing and a message and a culture thing. It's like, what's your real motivation as a founder, as a leader, as an owner of a business? And if you see business, it's like, I want to have a great culture so that I have great retention so that I can get a higher multiple so that I can retire sooner. That's going to bleed out. And I would invite someone who has that mindset to think there's actually a higher way in life. Mm -hmm. When we actually think about life and we think about the end of our lives, sitting in a rocking chair in a cabin in the woods, reflecting back with our loved ones over the life we've spent. We're going to think about things like the relationships that we've built along the way the challenges we took on that made us into better people and the way that we impacted the world for good, right? Religion and philosophy all point to this, like life is about the pursuit of meaning. And we teach our children 
do the right thing for the right thing's sake. We don't teach them do the right thing for transactional sake. We teach them pursue lives of meaning, find your passion, be as big of a soul as you can be, change the world for good. That's the stuff that gives us goosebumps because that's the stuff that as human beings, meaning lies in that direction. And business is a powerful force for meaning when it's hooked up right. When ownership and leadership and culture are aligned towards what's actually meaningful, which is a culture that connects people in those relationships, that draws the potential out of each one of us to become the highest potential that we can be, and then changes the world for good. Mm -hmm. Tell me one thing in the world that can do that better than business. We don't need funding from other people. We don't have to raise money. We don't have to have taxes. We get to do chart our own course and the challenge of business. I mean, Matt, think about your own business career and who you would be if you'd retired at 21 years old and somebody gave you an annuity versus who you are today, right? I mean, absolutely. the size of your of who you are and the capabilities in life. Business lets us do this. It develops people and people are what matters. I'll close with this. People are never the means to another end. People always are the end. In life, people have to be, people are also the means, to, but they have to be the means of the end at the same time. Like in a business, sure, we need people in order to sell product to make money, but even that money's purpose has to be back for people. And we have to define our success in our souls and in our businesses by the mark we leave in people's lives. And if you can have really build a business where people are the ends, you will have a great culture. If people are the means and culture is another means to some other end of personal enrichment or things, and don't get me wrong, I'm very financially successful. This I'm very grateful for this. I there's no reason why you can't have a great business and make a lot of money and bring a lot of joy and smiles and flourishing along the way. But through all of that and in that, people are the ends. Ah, man, Ryan, I love it. I love it. I, I, this has been one of my favorite podcasts. I think that that we've recorded so. Far. Oh, I'm so honored this to is, hear that. That yeah, is such an is, honor. Yeah, this is really, really cool. It's such a such a deep conversation. And like I said, th- this can absolutely go on and on and on. So I'd love to be able to to connect with you again sometime in the future, and we can explore this, you know, so much more. So you, uh, I, I love, I love your thought process. You're you're doing great. You're doing great, great work. So well, thank you, Matt. What what a fun conversation. And right back at you. I mean, it's so great to get to talk to somebody who. Who, who sees this, gets this, asks such insightful questions. And I would be honored to be back for chapter two. I love it. I love it. Excellent. Well, till next time. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.